A new day is dawning, and it's time for Thunderman LLC to get down to business. The boys set out to interview some potential candidates for associate positions, but not before seeking to acquire some new assets. We listen to episode 20 of Taz Graduation, so you know what that means. It's time for Talking Taz. Alright everyone, welcome back to Talking Taz, your weekly journey through the worlds of the Adventure Zone graduation. With you as always is me, your host and producer PJ, and with me as always is my lovely co-host, Lauren. Hi! Alright, Lauren, what did you think of this episode? I really liked it. There, like a ton didn't happen as far as like gameplay goes, but we had some really interesting revelations and an interesting new visitor. Yeah, this episode almost kind of like flew by. Oh, yeah, for sure. 100%. Like it was like it kind of just started and ended and not in a bad way, but it was like nothing major enough happened that it was like, oh, okay. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I feel that. All right. So let's get into it. Mm-hmm. Hegumus sent the boys away after transforming Hieronymus back to his human form. So the boys went back to their dorms, had the dreams we talked about last episode, and then they went down to the dining hall for breakfast. The three discuss their dreams, Fitzroy seemingly upset that he had a rowdy non-erotic dream, and wonders if they are being visited by three spirits to change their ways. <laughs> the fear book says Chaos was trying to lead him astray, and Argo agrees, saying this was disturbing, but it was a vision of his future, and he looked really good. He did look really good. Yeah, he did. I was like, again, we talked about it on the podcast. There's documented evidence, and we agree. We stand older Argo. Oh, hell yeah. I definitely stand older Argo. <laughs> Fitzroy reasserts that his dreams were non-erotic, but he did spend most of it topless, and he had a rigid muscular frame. <laughs> that makes me wonder if a lot of his dreams are, are erotic, because he mentions it a couple times that this one like wasn't. Which would be so interesting for a character that, I mean, we've theorized at this point is asexual. Yes. Maybe they're like erotic, but in a bad way. <laughs> That's true. Maybe, I mean, they could be erotic and he's just like, okay, that's happening. (laughs) He just dreams of people having sex near him and he's like, this does nothing for me. Why is this happening? Why do I keep having these erotic dreams? Why do you keep visiting me three erotic spirits? (laughs) (laughs) The ghosts of Christmas past, present, and wizard swear. (laughs) Oh, God. That would make a really interesting um, Christmas special. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) They all agree that they met Chaos now, but he's unswayed by Chaos's plight and is getting big bad guy vibes off of him, which he should. Chaos is uh, chaos. Yeah, absolutely. Chaos is in this for the chaos. So bad guy vibes fit. At Argo's questioning, Fitzroy admits that chaos is the source of his powers and Grey's as well. And a note... Uh, and I mean, this came up in a conversation that we had, but let's have it uh, on the podcast. Mm-hmm. D- do you, I mean, gray can be spelled two ways, right? Yes. G-R-A-Y and G-R-E-Y. Mm-hmm. What do you, in your head canon, think this gray spells his name like? I went for the G-R-A-Y spelling because that is the American English version, mm-hmm. whereas the E-Y is the British English version. So since Mm -hmm. these boys are American and I am an American, I went with the A-Y spelling, unless you went different. Did you spell it No, I totally went G-R-A-Y. Okay. Because uh, for like a way less interesting reason, which was like, I know he's partially, I I assume he's partially based off Grast, who has the A. Right. 
That's literally the only reason why. But I agree with you. Is we're all American here. We're all American here. I thought you were American. <laughs> Hi, I'm a lesbian. I thought you were American. <laughs> R.I.P. Vine. R.I.P. Vine. <laughs> the boys seem reluctant to take chaos up on their offer, but don't want to cut it out in the event that they need to use chaos in the coming war, which is smart play. You don't want to deal away your you know strongest ally. Exactly. Yeah, you have no idea how things will play out as you recruit. And you also don't want to put yourself in a position where Chaos is like, all right, fine. Uh, all right, fine, Fitzroy, no more powers. Oh my God, I didn't even think that that was on the table. Now I'm scared. You know, it might be. I don't know. He is the source of Fitzroy's powers. So I suppose at any point he could take them away. Yeah. And Gray's too. So that's another thing I to feel keep like in for some pocket. reason he couldn't take Gray's power away. Because he's a demon prince? Yeah, like, I feel like Grey draws his power from him in a way, but, like, I don't know. There's probably some, like, bigger thing. That's true. Maybe maybe Chaos gave him powers when he's in our realm, but when he's in his own realm, it's different? Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, that, that makes the most sense. Sure. I'm glad that that makes <laughs> yeah, sense. Yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Argo mentions that maybe they should recruit people to their cause, saying he's a member of a secret society, which, I mean... He says it, but I was also like, well, not a secret anymore, bud. Yep. Well, that's out of the bag now. That spectral well, cat. Well, guess there's a broken chain now. <laughs> <laughs> but he's willing to talk to them to combat Grey, which is a smart move. Go to the guys that have like a whole order already established. Yeah. There's kind of already like a built-in secret army that mm -hmm. I think is very smart to pull into this. Fitzroy agrees, saying they all need to lean on their connections to put together a winning team. But after they talked to Higglemas and Hieronymus, but, which I was like, yeah, smart move, talk to them because they will know what to do because they fought Grey before. But also, you're real not shook about the secret society thing. Right? He just like skimmed right over that. He's like, yeah, cool, whatever, Argo. Let's go talk to the, the Hieronymus <laughs> brothers. Not Hieronymus brothers. The Hieronymus brothers. <laughs> do, you no. remember, do you remember? I think it was like episode 10 when we were just calling them. Well, I was calling them Higglemissuses and Hieronymuses. <laughs> like hippopotamuses? Exactly. For Christmas. I want Hieronymuses for Christmas. <laughs> you take the Hieronymuses, I'll take the Higglemisses. <laughs> Let's just call the whole thing off. <laughs> Stupid. The Fearbulk is eager to talk to the brothers as well, so they all start to head to Higglemisses. Now it sounds weird to me. <laughs> uh, the Fearbulk is eager to talk to the brothers as well, so they all start to head to Higglemisses' quarters to see if they are taking office hours when they are momentarily stopped by Hieronymus taking the stage to make the school announcements. He winks at the boys, giving away that this is Phil Rodimus, and he tells them that they have a special guest lecture for the semester, but is interrupted by the boys making fart noises. <laughs> Specifically, Master Fearbulg at first. Yes. And he's good at it, and he's trying to be a bad boy. He says he's going to be the true bad boy now. Right, right. He's embracing it. Uh, and then as soon as he has stopped, Fitzroy's like, I'll take up the mantle. And he just does not know how to make a fart noise. He can't do it. And Argo's like trying to coach him through it and give him <laughs> pointers. And it's just like not working. I imagine this was a real conversation that happened when Griffin was a child and Clint was trying to teach him how to make a fart noise. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, that's a very father-son thing to do. Especially Clint. I imagine Clint is like, God, isn't it so funny when my kids make random fart noises? <laughs> I mean, even Travis was like, I don't know which member of my family made that noise. <laughs> so clearly they all do this a lot. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Foranimus snaps his fingers, uh, making the fear bulg fall under the silence spell. And Justin says, this is the deepest violence. Not the silence spell, but taking someone's ability to fart away. (laughs) (laughs) This is such a dumb bit. Oh, boys. (laughs) Foranimus continues, saying that their special guest lecturer is one of the most renowned heroes in all of Nua, the Commodore. Oh, my God. God! Ooh, this is such good, uh, uh, tasty, tasty storytelling from Travis. Yes, I was like, oh my god, Travis! Like, there have been some kind of kind of touch and go moments throughout this podcast where I was like, okay, you're you're leaning a little too heavily into the storytelling and not letting the players tell it, and vice versa. But like, throwing in the Commodore right now is so so tasty. Yeah, no, I thought it was genius, and mm-hmm. like. I immediately hated him because I already have all this context, you know? Yeah, from the dream sequence last time when we found out Argo's real reason for wanting to be his sidekick. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I'm ready to kill the Commodore. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Same. We should, like, take up a petition or something. <laughs> the Commodore takes the stage in his military regalia, walking with a swagger and a grin, waving to the students. Argo is obviously affected by this. Clint equates the Commodore to John Paul Jones, Admiral Nimitz, and then they say, or Captain Crunch and Popeye the Sailor Man. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think Popeye was a villain. <laughs> Which or- I'm interested for some reason. Well, yes, Popeye is not a villain, but now there's Captain Crunch. I don't even know Captain Crunch's lore, so I can't speak to his morality. But it's interesting because I, I, I don't know what you had in your head canon for the Commodore. But I imagined like a guy, like a hulking figure in like, I don't know why, an old timey scuba suit, like with those like graded, like graded helmets. <laughs> you did? With like a hook hand that shoots out or something. Oh, whoa. Like that's what I imagined the Commodore to be like, was like this larger than life, like hero and not just like a guy in military regalia, you know, I didn't imagine Captain Crunch. I, I also did not imagine Captain Crunch, so you and I are on the same wavelength there. I 100% had him as just like a pirate. So he was like a combination of Barbosa and Davy Jones from the Pirates of the Caribbean saga to where he was just like huge and powerful, but not a squid face. He was a human. So I, that's how I pictured him. I see where you're going with that. And clearly you were slightly more accurate. <laughs> But now I kind of want the old-timey scuba guy. That sounds yeah, I mean, cool. that's You know, that's the thing, is just having all of those, like, mental images of the characters, and then they finally describe them, and it's like, oh, that's what they look like. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like how you and I, after we watched the trailer with Festo, we were like, not at all what I thought. <laughs> yeah, but that yeah. Festo that they had for the pin of the month was a little closer to what I thought. Oh, yeah, much more on the mark, for sure. As we learned last week, this is a man Argo blames for the death of his mother, and he's a real creep. We don't know if the Commodore recognizes Argo yet. He only knew Argo as a boy. But Genasi are pretty rare in this world, so he might clock him. But you know, not snipers, because you can't clock You that will crab. never clock that crab. No. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the Commodore and Phoronimus talk with one another at the staff table, and Argo tells Fitzroy and the Fearbulg his plans for the Commodore, but doesn't see him as a direct threat yet, because he doesn't know Argo's out to kill him. Fitzroy calls Argo the Count of Monte Cristo, and his revenge plot is pretty obvious, so the Commodore will probably figure it out. Which I would say it isn't pretty obvious. I didn't think it was obvious either. And yeah, exactly. Like literally the audience barely knew about it until 
like last episode. Exactly. I just thought he was like this huge fanboy to the point where I was like, okay, Argo, you need to like calm down about the Commodore. But then revealed that he wants to kill him. And I was like, that's a cool twist. So I don't know where Fitzroy's picking up on these murder vibes. Griffin's like, I saw last episode. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. But yes, he agrees they can lay low for now and deal with the Commodore at a future date. After an awkward transition where Fitzroy loudly announces he's going to the bathroom, Argo goes to make sure Fitz washed his hands, and Fearbulk just follows them. <laughs> the boys make their way to Hugomis' office, where the brothers promise to give the whole truth. Cool Gary waves at them, and he now has a lip piercing, and a septum piercing, and an industrial. I, like, listen, Cool Gary's always been cool, but now I'm like, you're, like, transcending cool and becoming, like, a god. <laughs> yeah. This is, uh... The transformation I started going through during quarantine was to become cool PJ. <laughs> you already were cool PJ. Yeah, but now, just like how he was already cool Gary, and then he got piercings and became even cooler Gary, I was already cool PJ, and then I became even cooler PJ once I got my earrings and septum. I think now your aesthetic matches the cool PJ that has always been. Same thing with Gary. Same thing with cool <laughs> Gary. <laughs> They enter and find the much younger Higglemas caring for his brother, who's resting on his overstuffed worn couch. Higglemas says he owes him an explanation, and I agree. Yes. And he also says he owes him an apology. Also agree. He reassures the boys that almost none of his story about his brother and the fight against Grey was a lie. Hieronymus was cursed. Higglemas turned him into a dog to help him survive. The backlash aged Higglemas rapidly. The lie was that he could have turned Hieronymus back at any point, which I was like, okay. Okay. Right? Especially <laughs> then like, why isn't Leon back yet? Then where's Leon? And also he delayed this to the point where his brother's transformation was almost permanent. And it makes no sense. Like I this isn't even a jab at Travis being like, This is a plot hole, because I don't even think it is. I legitimately see this as a character choice for Higglemas. Oh yeah, no, this is one hundred percent a Higglemas decision and I'm mm-hmm. upset by it. Yeah. He was so afraid of losing him again that Hig didn't want to until he knew he could hide Hieronymus from Grey. Which, again, I get. Because, I mean, it's very possible that the second that Hieronymus was also there, it would have made awarding the room too hard or something like that. I don't know. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I don't understand the ins and outs but of I this magic. But I still don't like it. Yeah, same. Unhappy. He admits that the apple was to protect Hieronymus and Higglemas, uh, and that he was a coward. But that he was only ever brave in the reflection of his brother, and he didn't know what to do without him. (laughs) Crying. When asked what Higg's long-term goal was, they figure out that he was hoping Hieronymus would have a plan to destroy Grey because Higg isn't the hero. (sighs) The fear Volk says he understands idolizing the oldest brother. That's very common. (laughs) Younger brothers see their older brothers as godlike, infallible, sexual superiors. (laughs) And I was like... Okay, Justin. Okay, Justin. (laughs) (laughs) It was so good. I was so mad at him. He said it in the Fearbulk voice, and I was like, excuse me, we don't know that the Fearbulk has any siblings. This is 100% Justin McElroy trolling his younger brothers. Yeah, and Travis can't even deny it. He's like, oh, no, that is what's happening, isn't it? (laughs) But you know what? They should look up to Justin. He's the funniest brother. I I thought you stood you were a stand for Griffin. I love Griffin. Griffin has the sense of humor that's closest to my own, but objectively, Justin is the funniest brother. I I would have to agree with you. Justin is my personal favorite of the McElroys. I agree, and I'm I think they both do look up to Justin a lot. They do, and they should. I mean, he's great. 
He's and I mean, Tyson. him and Griffin started all of like the Polygon stuff together. Like their empire is there because of Justin and Griffin specifically. But Travis, I mean, obviously is an important role of it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if he wasn't as entertaining as his brothers, he wouldn't be a part of everything. Exactly. And I mean, Travis does make me laugh a lot. And he is in the f- previous Taz arcs with Balance and with Amnesty. He made some of the most interesting and daring character choices that I was like, wow, that's super cool. And he's, I think he's Skylar's uh, favorite brother. Is he? Yeah. Aww. But I always say it's because Skylar always roots for the underdog. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's sweet. Between the three of us, all of the brothers are taken <laughs> are care covered. of. Are covered. We just need someone for Clint. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can always uh, call it Megan. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She's a huge Clint stan. Oh, uh, God. Fitzroy says he messed up, but now they need to look into the future, and Higglemist shouldn't ask what they can do for him, but what he could do to help them build a righteous, badass army to kill a demon king. That's uh, my favorite uh, JFK speech. Oh, I think I missed that one in school. You know, um, it's always misquoted. You know how, like, the date which will live in infamy is always misquoted As the to day. the day that will live in infamy, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the famous FDR speech? Right. Well, this speech from JFK is always misquoted as, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. It was actually this quote, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah, I... Yeah. I've not even heard the actual quote, so that's like that's like well, some now deep the more state you know. Stuff. That's like a triple the more you know. <laughs> I'm so grateful for this podcast. I've learned so much about We're going full big brain here. Full big <laughs> Good for us. Hegelman says he's just trying to help his brother get better to tell him what to do. And I'm like, have some agency for yourself, my guy. Yeah, but he's I mean, I think it's he's internalized this hero and sidekick thing almost to the extreme to where he literally can't function without his brother because he is the sidekick. So I feel my heart broke because I was like, you, you're your own person. You can be a hero too. But he, in his own mind, just like he, he can't. Yeah. He sees himself as so useless. He does, which is so sad. He's very powerful. He was able Mm -hmm. to counteract a demon prince's magic. So like, yeah. Oh, poor Hig. He says a hero at this point doesn't remember much of his past life, and Higglemas is doing magical brain surgery to rebuild it. Fitzroy says he wants to get started on building the army since they only have six months, and since Higglemas went up against them before, any insight would be helpful, which would be the only helpful he's done for them. Higglemas says that Grey is clever, but he has a temper, and if he's worked up, he'll be off kilter and make mistakes, which is how he was beaten before. He also warns the boys that Grey was able to make it past his wards because he had inside help from someone at the school. So they need to be careful about who they approach. That answers our question from last week. Well, two weeks ago, yeah. Was that two weeks ago? Yeah, two weeks ago. Because last week was the dreams. Oh, that's right. Last week was the dreams. So then, yes, Last week was uh, the best Fleetwood Mac song. (laughs) With the best Fleetwood Mac song, The Chain? Oh, no. It's dreams. It's dreams? (laughs) I... I don't know. I really like The Chain. The Chain's definitely a close second. The Chain is like such a, you know, they're very different moods. Like if you're just trying to vibe, mm-hmm. it's dreams. But if you're trying to like feel feelings, it's The Chain. Okay. I mean, all of Fleetwood Mac is just so good. So good. But anyway, that answers our question with how Gray had managed to get into Higglemas's office because he'd been yes. hiding there for 50 years. And so. apparently he could have gotten in whenever he wanted, if <laughs> depending on when he had this plant placed. Exactly. I don't know how long this Because literally, it seems like he's willing to just let him do his own thing until he found out that they were leaving. And he's like, all right, 
kid gloves are off now. That's true. Yeah. And he might have had people on his side there from the beginning. Fitzroy asks if Higglemiss knows anything about Gray's army. And Higglemiss says that Gary, that Gary, Gary's the actual, Gary's just been a portmanteau for Gray this whole time. No, Gary. Oh, God. I didn't even realize how close Gray and Gary were. I keep saying Gary. (laughs) No. Gray rules one of the hell dimensions, which really makes the Thunderman nervous because he runs a hell dimension and they share a toilet. (laughs) Hagelmiss can't offer any insight to the army or to Gray's dimension, but he thinks Gray's connection to the world has to do with the Godscar chasm. So maybe the boy should start there. That makes sense, right? Because that's the same magic that Fitzroy has. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that would all make sense. Fitzroy says he is starting to form a plan to scout the Hell Dimension, to visit the God's Chasm, and to get as many fighters on their side as they can. They wonder if there is a special weapon they need to kill Grey, like magic swords, but Higglemiss says no weapon exists with which to take down Grey, not even a big magical piano they could drop on him. And I was like, what about a big magical anvil? Ooh, they didn't even talk about the Fantasy Acme Company. Mm-mm-mm. Wow. Fantasy Acme over here with the only tools to kill Grey, and they're not even considering it. They did. That is like so short-sighted. Ugh, Fantasy Wally Coyote. You know, they already have Tom and Jerry. <laughs> they technically do have Tom and Jerry. They. It's not we're, much of a We're stretch. like one step away. <laughs> From Fantasy Coyote and Fantasy Roadrunner. Yeah. <laughs> Hello everyone, it's me, PJ, your binge buddy, here as always to thank you for tuning in and listening to our podcast. We hope you're enjoying this episode and enjoying the marathon. I'll make this as quick as possible since we're going to be dropping a new episode each day, I'll have less and less to say, so let's just get into the plugs and notes. Keep up with us on social media, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at TalkinTaz. On Facebook, you can also find the official TalkinTaz group where you can interact with us as well as other fans of the podcast. Or go to our website, talkin-taz.pinecast.co, for links to those socials as well as all of our episodes. If you're enjoying the show, tell your friends about it and leave a review on iTunes. It really does help. A few notes from this episode. We discussed the proper spelling for the Demon Prince Grey, and it is in fact the American G-R-A-Y and not the British G-R-E-Y. Take that, Britain. During this episode, we bring up a Skylar and a Megan. Just for your context, Skylar is my wife, and Megan is a co-worker of mine and Lauren's. I just hate when people tell stories and don't add context to who these people are, so that's that's for you listeners. At one point, I said Gary was a portmanteau for Grey when I meant to say it was an anagram for Grey. I will live with this shame for the rest of my life and offer my deepest apologies. We'll keep last week's question as our main question of the week because it is a doozy, but I'll add a mini side question based on our conversation this week. You heard mine and Lauren's, but what's your favorite Fleetwood Mac song? I'm just curious. Thanks for listening, and back to the podcast. Hagoma says that he and Hero have killed Grey's forms many times in this dimension, so they probably need to kill him in his own dimension to make it permanent, which makes total sense. That does make sense. I'm glad he like brought that up now instead of just like later. <laughs> but it also means that our final fight's going to be in hell. I know, I realized that too, and I was like, damn, this is going to get so intense. Yeah, it is. As someone who has run a final fight in hell, it's never an easy fight. No, as someone who fought many a fight in hell. It- oh my god, I ran two final fights in hell, didn't I? Wow, look at me. You did, yes. <laughs> Apparently, like, ending stories in hell. It's, yeah, it, it's just me out, but it was also super cool. Yeah, because you guys fought death in hell, and you also fought 
Bell. Well, you fought Bell in hell. <laughs> Hell's bells. <laughs> That's a great song. <laughs> Before the boys leave, Fitzroy offers Hagomis an out. He knows Hig has had a tough time and doesn't hold it against him, so he gives him the other apple that Grade didn't destroy. Which I was like, wait, how many apples do we have? <laughs> <laughs> it was it was two. I know, but I, I don't know, because I thought he had already... No, yeah, you're right, because they never, never able to give him the apple in the first place, so they had both. Yeah, and Fitzroy was able to cast Mending on the apple that he ate, so yeah. he had both of them. He says he doesn't want Hagelmus to be a part of the war if he's only going to be half in or looking for a way out. But if he and Hero want to help them, they'll take them. Hagelmus thinks about it, but admits Hero would help them, so he's in. The boys are very relieved, as they actually did not have a backup plan <laughs> if he had said no. <laughs> I liked that that moment for Higglemas deciding to finally be the hero. Yeah. It was sweet. But it's still tied to his brother, which is like good to have someone to look up to. But I, I want his growth to be realizing that he is his own person. Yeah, that's that's hopefully where he's going with this journey. That's what I hope Travis has in mind. He says he can make them a potion that can protect them from Grey's like, vision because he can know where they are and offers a reconnaissance team. A group of interdimensional spectral cats that are good at getting into places. The cats are Higgle misses. The cats are Higgle misses. Oh my god. But we do learn very quickly, he doesn't control them, he just can get information from them. And he's like, have you ever tried to control a cat? And I'm like, yes, it's impossible. <laughs> you, there is a reason why the expression is hurting cats, because it is, you can't control them. Yeah. And Argo is able to realize Higgle miss is standing taller and seems more present. He is much more comfortable being told what to do instead of telling people what to do. I mean, I get that. Mad respect. There's a lot of instances yeah. where I feel more comfortable being given an assignment as opposed to having to figure out what to do. I'm more of a, like, I want to just be doing my own thing kind of person. I like directions and following mm. them. See, I like giving directions and seeing people follow them. <laughs> you and I would make a great team. <laughs> You know, I'd say we did when we were uh, managers together. <laughs> yeah, I thought we were a pretty solid team, too. At this point, Griffin says he feels like he's in loose end mode where he wants to close plot holes he remembers from previous episodes, which I was like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my uh, my OCD was kicking in. I was like, oh, good. We can just start checking things off the list. He says he wants to revisit Crabtree to check in on his artificing project. Clint wants to check in with the Unbroken Chain to see if they can be recruited to their war effort. And Justin is interested in going to the library. Nerd. Travis decides... <laughs> nerd! <laughs> I mean, honestly, when we get to that section, kind of super nerd. <laughs> uh, Yeah, very big super nerd. Travis decides they will start with the artificing project first. So the boys head down to the forge and meet up with Crabtree. Fitzroy hands over his signed permission slip, and after making sure it's legit, Crabtree asks if Fitzroy wants to forge his headband. But Fitzroy says that's so last season, so and removes last his glasses, <laughs> asking if Crabtree can enchant them. He wants him enchanted with true sight. Yeah, I was into it. Yeah, I liked it. He wants to be able to hand over his glasses to someone so they could see what's really going on, especially in regards to the Godscar Chasm or any other illusions to help convince people of what is really happening. That's like so ingenious. It's a super smart play. And I think I respect that he was, he kind of talks through it with Travis being like, let me know if this is too OP. Let me know if you want me to do something different. And Travis is like, we can work it out. Yeah, no, Travis was very open to making this work for Griffin, which I thought was super cool and makes him a, a good DM. Yeah, we're seeing our boy grow up. <laughs> 
I'm crying. <laughs> Crabtree is intrigued by the project, saying she can enchant the lenses, but will need strong enough frames to hold them. So she partners with Mosh, the blacksmithing teacher, and also a member of the Unbroken Chain, Ooh, yes. on them. Fitzroy suggests transition brow lines, and they seem to come up with something that will work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't like brow line glasses. I think they're ugly. <laughs> well, apparently they're super in in Nua. Well, to be fair, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, his glasses are not prescription. Mm-hmm. Which we've established. So it actually wouldn't matter because he can wear them down at like the bridge of his nose. Mm-hmm. Which I was literally about to say, brow line glasses only work if they're small and at the bridge of your nose. But that works for him. That does work for him. I don't see Fitzroy as a person who would wear his glasses anywhere past like the bridge of his nose. I yeah. always see him having them very on, like very firmly on his face. But I don't know, maybe he can pull off brow line glasses. You know what? I bet he can. And of course he can. He's Fitzroy Maplecourt. Maybe it's in the traits page for half elves. Can pull off brow, brow line, line glasses. glasses. Exactly. <laughs> Crabtree works on a, Crabtree. Crabtree says they're going to start working on a prototype and should have something to show him in a day or two. The boys head to the library next, and they find Sabor. After exchanging some pleasantries, notably letting Sabor know that he is one of his best friends. Yeah, he goes into it where he's like Sabor. I only know like three people and you're one of them and you're my best friend. I was like, this is a lot of information. I was like, that's so sad. But also like, I love Sabor, but uh, this was where I was like, oh yeah, you are the nerd. (laughs) Your best friend's the librarian. (laughs) Your best friend is the library teacher. (laughs) Nerd. Uh, The Fearbook asks if Sabor likes Hieronymus. Sabor says he respects him very much as he was the one who hired him over a hundred years ago. Which, I mean, means that the real Hieronymus hired him, and then he was succeeded by Phoronymus. Yes, which the Fearbolg catches on to. Mm-hmm. Hieronymus doesn't go to the library often, but Sabor doesn't have any issues with him. The Fearbolg asks if Sabor noticed any changes in Hieronymus around 50 years ago, and he admits that Hieronymus became more involved in recruiting and bringing in new students around that time. That's pretty terrifying. <laughs> yeah. The fear bulg decides he trusts Sabor after rolling well on his insight. We then realize Argo and Fitzroy have been present, and Griffin says Fitzroy has been playing with a stick and hoop because that was the longest, most boring conversation he's ever heard. <laughs> because, yeah, seriously, like, the two characters that speak at, like, a snail's pace. They do, yes. I mean, it fits for both of them, but it was a very long conversation. I was personally engaged the entire time, so... I think Griffin's accusation was a little harsh, but I have, I'm currently playing a character where I've been missing from a couple of conversations. So I like also do just like inane stupid things with my spare time. (laughs) (laughs) So I get it. I love that. But yeah, I mean, that's the crux of D&D sometimes is not all five players are going to be in every conversation Mm -hmm. as much as some players want to be. Right. Sometimes I have to like, grab a player i mean not the actual player but like their character by the shoulder and be like you're not here you're not here you don't hear this or it's like this is in a different language you don't understand what they're saying but people and understandably completely understandably want to be involved because they're playing this game yeah you know but it is a game of role playing and part of role playing is role playing that you're not there Or role-playing that you don't understand what they're saying. And yeah, exactly. no, I get it. In response to this, uh, they say they're going to press the, the, you know, the two-time uh, two speed button on their conversation. <laughs> 
which for me just made it a 3.5 times speed because I listened to the podcast at 1.5 times speed. I remember you saying that. I don't. So I can't imagine what it sounds like to have them sped up. I only listen to it that way for the sake of like, I just have so many podcasts I have to listen to. Mm -hmm. It's 1.5 times is almost negligible difference. It just goes by a little faster. That's fair. When I was listening to the podcast more for transcription, which Lauren has graciously taken over. You're welcome. I I was listening to it at two times speed because I just needed to get all the information down. Mm-hmm. But I now am either back to one one time speed if I'm like leisurely going about my day mm-hmm. and 1.5 times speed if like they drop the same day like five other D&D podcasts drop. Yeah, you do listen to a lot of D&D podcasts. God, I love Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I don't think you're wrong in that i think you're <laughs> cool because of it hell yeah who doesn't yeah all the cool kids like D. the other day one of our friends was like they're not cool enough to play D, and i was like oh it's a cool symbol now but you know what if you're not cool enough to play D, like that's that's super sad super sad <laughs> fear both tell saber that the godscar chasm was invented and that Hieronymus is not who he thinks he is and is in fact a being who wants to bring chaos and destruction to the school, and the Thundermen are the only ones who could stop Phoronimus. Sabor simply nods, glancing at Argo, who raises his hand to scratch his head, the sleeve of his jerkin sliding down to reveal his tattoo. Obviously him being like, mm-hmm, unbroken chain much? Right, and like, this is all okay, it has my stamp of approval. Satisfied, Sabor says he will begin his research. Heading to his office, the Fearbowl congratulates Sabor on his promotion to secondary character. <laughs> And everyone laughs. It's such a funny line, but it's true. Like this arc is really going to turn a lot of side characters into secondary characters. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because the boys now get to decide which NPCs. Honestly, like while at times it has really felt like you've like Travis spent too much time being like, and there's this character. I mean, God, I have war flashbacks to reading episode one and two. Because it was like character after character after character after character after character after character. Yeah. But now there's like this whole roster that the boys get to be like, this, these are the ones that I cared about and I'm going to make characters you're going to flesh out. And that is, that is so cool to me that the boys now get this opportunity to do that because usually, at least the campaigns that I've been in, NPCs become important the more you interact with them as opposed to here's all these people you decide who you want to interact with. So I liked mm-hmm. I liked this format. It's different than anything that I've played. Yeah, I mean, it's a super unique idea and I'm, I'm probably going to steal it at some point. I would love that. <laughs> but that's all we have for you guys this episode. That's where it ends. That is where it ends. Again, it kind of like there's so much that happens, but it also kind of just goes by, by in a flash because when you really think about it, like it was, they go to talk to Higglemas, then they talk to Crabtree for a second, then they talk to Sabor for a second, and the Commodore is introduced. And that's all that happens this episode. Yeah, it was really just those big four main character beats, like story beats, I mean. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel this way. I feel like Travis is like letting go a little bit of the narration and like letting the boys decide what they want to do. Yeah. And I mean, it's a welcome, right? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't like hate it at any point. Like I never really got to the point where, I mean, unless anyone has clips of the podcast of me being, I think there was a few times, maybe one or two episodes where I was like mad at Travis for a decision he had made. Mm-hmm. I think specifically around maybe the, the 
like how much I felt he was taking away a lot of their agency in regards to the centaur mission specifically. Yeah, I think that's where it came to a crux was the yeah the high rolls and Travis still not giving them information. Acknowledging them, yeah. yeah. Uh, a little bit in Mission Impossible too, I think. I think so too. Yeah, that sounds right. But I think I can really see like, I mean, we talked about it at the beginning of this episode. I, I really see his growth as a DM. Yes, I do too. And it's it's nice to see. You know, because I know, I honestly know a lot of people that didn't stick with graduation because they just didn't like Travis's DMing style. And I don't know. I hope, I hope they come back around and give it another shot because it's, it honestly really grows on you. And he, he grows into the role really well. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, this is his first time doing a long campaign as opposed to just like a one or two shot that they've done in the past. Yeah. So you, learn a lot in just like a one-off but you learn so much more when you have to carry on a story for weeks and weeks and sometimes months or years yeah and honestly you just i mean it's like anything you know the more you do it the better you get at it and Mm -hmm. i I think back to like when i first started dming and like i had fun doing it and the players had fun but i'm like god like what were those choices what was that storytelling device like (laughs) what was this like who were you who was this i mean i also think that you are your harshest critic Everyone is their own harshest critic, of course. But I mean, I've seen you grow as a DM too. Have you seen some of the posts on about people's reactions to graduation? I think the internet might be people's greatest critics. I mean, that's also true. It makes me sad that people gave up on graduation because I again, I think I honestly think it's Travis had his hiccups early on as a DM, and just there was just a lot of people not willing to forgive it, so they either quit or they never let him redeem himself in their eyes so any mistake became so much amplified to them you know and i think i honestly implore all of those people to give the podcast a re-listen because it it truly does grow on you it really does not only do all the characters have their shining moments and like get some really cool development but Travis really does become a very good DM and his storytelling, even from the beginning, like it's been very compelling. This world he created, all these people he's yeah. put into it. Bare minimum, even if like I had still hated this uh, arc, which I, I mean, luckily I never really fully disliked it. I just disliked a choice here and there. Mm-hmm. But even if I had hated it, I would at least have been like, well, maybe Travis should write a novel. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We brought that up a couple times. In the beginning. But too bad Jermaine took the idea first. Yeah, Jermaine did take the idea first. Maybe Travis can write like the sequel or something. (laughs) Uh, Well, with all of that, we're going to close out for the week. We hope you guys had a good time listening. And we'll see you guys next week. But until then, I've been PJ. I have been Lauren. And we'll see you next time when we are once again talking Taz. Taz.